I'm Daphne Wolsencroft, and you're listening to Night Watch, a show of terrifyingly true stories. If you'd like your story told on the show, email it to watcher at nightwatchpod.com. I used to work as a caregiver and home health aide for a few years in my early 20s while I decided if I wanted to pursue a career in nursing. I had taken care of my grandfather in his last years, so I knew how both challenging but rewarding the job could be, and it's what inspired me to look into nursing to begin with. In New Hampshire, you don't need a nursing degree to be a home health aide, but you do need a certification that's granted after going through the training program and obtaining a certain number of hours of hands-on experience, which I had gotten from caring for my grandfather. Due to the horrifying experience I'm about to explain and the fact that the pay wasn't great for how much the job entailed, I swerved career choices and am very happy with where I am now. But I hate that so much of that decision was due to this experience because it was one I am not thankful to have gone through. Most of the jobs I came across on Craigslist or Indeed were between $13 and $15 an hour, but seemed like easy enough jobs for the rates, i.e. making sure the usually elderly patient took their medications on time, ate three square meals, got to the bathroom okay, etc., but there was one job that was different. The listing was titled Caregiver Needed for Impaired Woman. Vague, I thought, but it seemed up my alley enough to give a click. As a gay man, I like the idea of working for women because some elderly men seem to sometimes be on the more judgmental side with having a male nurse for a reason I will never understand. And when I clicked this listing, I was even more intrigued by what was inside. The listing made it sound like the woman had written it herself, saying that she had been visually and physically impaired in an accident a few years prior, and that she needed daily care for just about everything. The listing required eight-hour days, with the strong preference that the caregiver stayed overnights for any potential nighttime care. The bottom of the listing said, male applicants only, which I thought was bizarre but also felt it was fair that The person in need should be capable and allowed to choose who cares for them. Then I saw that the job offered $40 an hour. I was stunned by the amount of money it listed, especially since I was living at my parents' house at the time until I found stable work and a place to live. Like I said, I was in my early 20s. But this also meant that staying overnight wouldn't be an issue for me if the situation felt right. I almost didn't reach out because I was worried I wouldn't be qualified or considered for such high pay, but I thought, what the hell, and sent an email with my resume and cover letter anyway. Within around 30 minutes, I received a reply back from the woman explaining that she was interested in meeting me the next morning to see if it would be a good fit. I assumed it was her based on the wording she used, but quickly wondered what her visual impairment was if she were capable of reviewing my email cover letter and resume, and then replying. But I didn't want to pass judgment or thoughts until I knew her situation, and I was just excited at the opportunity to work with this woman. 
what an idiot I was. When I looked up the address that night, I realized that it was nearly an hour away from my own house, near the border of Vermont, but I knew the town and it was a nice area, so I wasn't worried. I even looked up the house on Zillow to make sure it was legit and found it to be a beautiful multi-bedroom home on a large piece of land. Of course, part of me wondered if it would be a scam, like trying to lure someone out to a rural area for God knows what, but as dumb as this sounds, the woman sounded nice enough on email and I didn't want to risk missing out on the job. Since it was an hour away, no one was able to come with me for the interview, but I gave my parents the address so they had it. After the lengthy drive, I was excited to finally pull up to the beautiful home that matched the Zillow listing. And I couldn't help but smile at the thought of getting to live there until I saved up enough money to hopefully move out of state and figure out what I wanted to do next. Between the time I took this meeting and the time my grandfather had passed, I had taken a handful of other caretaking jobs that were part-time or short-lived, so I understood that it was usually important to meet with the person you'd be giving care to upon your interview to make sure the match was right. But when the front door opened, I was surprised to see a woman in her early 50s in a wheelchair opening it and not a family member or another helper. Especially for such a large house, it seemed she would need more people than just me to get by. So that was a bit of a red flag at first, but Instead of being sketched out, I'm more so worried about how much the job would entail to earn that $40 an hour. The woman whose name was Edna gave me a smile and asked if I was Michael, and I said yes, it was nice to meet her. She asked me to come inside, and I immediately noticed how cold it was in there. Something about crossing into the house gave me a weird feeling. She led me into the adjacent room where a fireplace was roaring and a pot of tea was on the coffee table. I took a seat and asked her how her day was, normal small talk stuff. And then I asked her how many people worked in her house at the time. A strange look crossed her face and she explained that no one did and that she was looking for a new caregiver so she could have general help. But again, with the wood fireplace going and the tea made, without trying to come off as an ableist, I genuinely wondered how she was able to do those things, yet was willing to pay someone $40 an hour for other general care that she seemed completely capable of doing herself. But again, I put those thoughts aside and figured she must have needed me there for a reason, and I was happy to be of assistance. During the interview, she asked me a lot of personal questions about myself. Not about my previous jobs or experience, but about extracurricular activities, if I had played sports in school, if I had a girlfriend, etc. I wasn't dating anyone at the time and certainly not any women, but I kept my answers vague and appropriate and consistently tried to steer the conversation back to my caregiving abilities. When we got to her accident, she was even more vague than I had been about my personal life, telling me that she was blind in one eye and that she couldn't move the lower half of her body after a car accident. But that was basically where the details ended, and since I didn't want to come off as rude or prying, I left it at that. The details wouldn't necessarily matter for my job's duties anyhow, because all that mattered was that she needed my help. By the time we finished our tea, Edna offered me the job, and I happily accepted. 
She told me to come back the following day to begin, and I did. Throughout the next day, Edna showed me around the house and explained everything I would need to do for her. As her memory was very sharp, she mostly needed her meals prepared for her, she needed help being bathed, cleaning the house, getting to and from appointments, etc. But one of the first things I noticed during this day was that her home was very much not friendly to someone with physical disabilities. There were stairs leading up to the second floor without a ramp, and there was no form of a stairlift inside, despite a large grand staircase in the middle of the house. Before I knew where her bedroom was, I asked her what was upstairs, and she explained that both her bedroom and mine were located up there. Confused, I asked if she usually slept downstairs between the time her last caregiver left and my arrival, and she just paused and looked at me very suspiciously. Worried I said something wrong, I opened my mouth to speak, but she spoke instead. She told me that in the short window of time since her last caregiver left, she had simply been crawling upstairs to go to sleep, and that she had another wheelchair upstairs that she used once she got herself up. I was incredibly confused by this and noticed later on that there was not another wheelchair upstairs because after carrying her up there in my arms before bed, I had to bring up her usual wheelchair. Again, I wanted to be kind and understanding to her condition and possible confusion, so I let it go and helped bathe her before putting her to bed. The entire time I gave her a bath, she stared at me with a huge smile on her face, complimenting my physique and asking me how often I worked out and why I didn't have a girlfriend. It was unsettling to say the least, but I just tried to make eye contact and do my job, answering her questions as basically and kindly as possible by just telling her that I enjoyed lifting weights a few times a week and that I wasn't looking for a relationship. I decided that I would try sleeping there initially to gauge just how much care she needed in the night and if it would be a comfortable situation enough to continue doing it. Plus, it would help me from having to commute. I didn't love the idea of living out there full-time with her and not being able to see my family and friends as often or easily, but I decided to give it a try anyway and go from there. Little did I know before that first night, I wouldn't be there long at all. After dressing Edna and putting her to bed, I settled into my own room just down the hall. It was a comfortable room stocked with most things I would need, and the bed was nice, so the situation was looking up. I watched some YouTube videos on my phone before going to bed, and eventually fell asleep with an alarm set for 7 o'clock the next morning, which is when I would wake up, get myself ready, and make Edna breakfast for the first time. I must have fallen asleep with my bedside lamp on, because just after 2.30 a.m., I woke up after hearing a small sound. When I opened my eyes, I saw a figure standing by the door. I immediately yelped, thinking it had to be an intruder because the only person in the house were Edna and I, and Edna couldn't walk or stand. As soon as I yelped, the person by my door fell to the ground. So I pointed the lamp's light at the dark floor to figure out where the person was. 
and in the same place they had dropped to the floor, I saw Edna unconscious. I jumped out of bed, still groggy and dazed, and ran to her side, asking her if she was okay. Disoriented, Edna asked what had happened and what she was doing in my room. I told her I wasn't sure and asked her where her wheelchair was, as I didn't see it in my room or in the hallway. Her response is that she must have been sleepwalking and she needed me to carry her back to bed right away. But none of it made any sense and her responses had been very defensive, which made me even more confused. I wondered if she had crawled in like she said she would do up the stairs, but I saw her standing there. I saw her drop to the floor. Or did I? Maybe I was tired and I didn't know what I saw, I wondered. Maybe the fear of seeing someone in my new room in this new house in the middle of the night was playing tricks on me. So I carried her back to bed down the hall and tried to go to sleep. The whole incident shook me up, but I went through the motions of the next day and we had a nice time chatting more and the job really did seem right up my alley. Until the night came again. I locked my door before going to sleep this time, worried she would sleepwalk or sleep crawl into my room again, and was woken up again in the early morning hours to another sound. I opened my eyes and realized that the sound was coming from my door. Edna was trying to get in, wiggling the knob slowly back and forth before stopping altogether. Concerned for her safety, even though I was really freaked out, I opened the door to find her outside in the hall, this time already laying on the ground. When I opened the door, she leapt towards me, smothering my body, kissing my neck and moving her hands all over me. I gently pushed her off and again, she has this coming to sensation where she asked where she was and what was going on. At that point, I was completely terrified. I explained what happened and she seemed completely apologetic about it and once again asked me to take her to her room. I didn't want to touch her or have her face right next to mine as I carried her, but I didn't see another option. So I carried her back to bed and once again returned to my room, locking the door. It was in that moment that I knew I could not keep doing this job. I stayed up a while longer and around 30 minutes after this incident, I heard another sound coming from outside my door. It sounded like someone was downstairs. I very quietly opened my door, praying she wouldn't be on the other side of it, but the hallway was empty. As I stepped outside of my bedroom slowly to peek down at the staircase, there she was, walking across the foyer with a cup of tea. I couldn't believe it. She was walking perfectly normal, not limping, not having any trouble at all, just drinking a cup of tea. After turning off some lights downstairs, she easily made her way up them and into her bedroom, closing the door behind her. It was then that I realized she had to have been messing with me. 
Why was I really there? Was her pretending to be sleepwalking so she could come into my room and assault me in some way? Is that why she specifically requested a man and made uncomfortable sexual comments towards my physique and relationship status since I arrived? Well, I didn't want to find out. But I had a very tough moral conflict going on in my head. I thought for a moment that she was suffering from a mental illness of some kind and that she wasn't trying to hurt me after all. But when I thought back to all the strange comments she made, all the pausing after my questions, all the inconsistencies, I just didn't see any other conclusion than her lying to me. And I didn't want to spend another moment in that house. I quietly and quickly packed up my things and made my way down the stairs as fast as I could without making a sound. Knowing she could walk, I kept picturing her emerging from her bedroom and chasing after me, or somehow sitting downstairs waiting for me. But I made it to my car safely and drove right out of there. I imagine she learned I had found her out because she never texted or called me after that. But a few weeks after the incident, I decided to Google her. And within a minute of searching, I found a link to a previous arrest of hers, mugshot and all. Three years earlier, she had been arrested for sexual assault, but I couldn't find how long she had been in jail for it. I couldn't find any other information about it, so I figured the charges had been dropped if she was out. As soon as I saw this, I called the police station in her town and explained my situation because I could only imagine she'd post again, looking to trap another young man and do something to them too. The police followed up with me about it, but it never went anywhere. I was so scared to be associated with her, but police assured me that they would be watching out for her. And I can only hope they did. Imagine being followed home by a creep on your train route. That's what this next story is about. Four months ago, I began to notice a man on my train route. I worked in the city and didn't have a car at the time, and taking the train was the easiest mode anyway, and the most preferred. Because if I got drinks with my coworkers after work or just wanted to relax on my phone after a long day. All I had to do was jump on the train, take a seat, and 40 minutes later, I'd be at the station just a five-minute walk from my house. I had been taking the same route for nearly two years and never had any strange encounters with anyone. There would be the occasional drunk patron or vagrant, but no one ever bothered me. I'd keep my earphones in and my head down if I ever saw anyone weird, which is what normal people usually do on trains, mind their business. But a few months back, all of that changed when someone I didn't know inserted themselves in my space. I can't explain it, but while I was sitting on the train one day, listening to a podcast, I had a weird feeling like I was being watched. Maybe I saw him from the corner of my eye, I don't know. But when I looked up, a young man was staring at me. He wasn't bad looking, but there was something off about his gaze. 
especially because his eyes were locked on me, unmoving even when I looked his way. I looked down again, not wanting to interact, again, minding my business. But a short while later, while the train was in motion, someone sat next to me. I didn't look up at first, but when I noticed their knees facing mine, nearly touching mine, I looked up again. It was the young man that had just moments earlier been sitting across from me and one row back. He had crossed the train just to sit next to me. When I raised my eyes, they met his because he was sitting about two feet from my face, looking at me. I wasn't in the mood for games. Also, I have a boyfriend, so I wasn't looking for a guy to chat me up. And I was really into the podcast I was listening to. So I turned to my right and put my head against the window. But then I felt a tap on my knee. What the hell? Did this guy just tap me? I took one of my earphones out and asked him, yes. My tone was probably a bit stern, but I didn't care. I wasn't playing nice with this weirdo. A smile formed across his face, and he told me that it was nice to meet me and that he's seen me on the train before. Finally wanted to say hello. Because I always keep to myself, I hadn't noticed this guy before. All I wanted to say was, cool, a lot of people take this train every day. Like, why was he saying hi to me? I told him that I was sorry, but I was listening to something. I also said it was nice to meet him too, and to have a good night, just as a courtesy. And I put my earphone back in. Then he angled his knees forward, but stayed in the same seat. About 15 minutes later, I got off and he remained on the train. I was relieved he hadn't followed me off, but little did I know at the time, he eventually would. Without going into too much detail about our remaining encounters, this guy, who never told me his name, bothered me on the train multiple days a week after this for weeks. No matter what, he would always find me wherever I was on the train, as if he was hunting me down car by car. It started to stress me out whenever my work shift was ending, knowing that he would be on the same train. So I delayed my travel home as many times as I could, grabbing a glass of wine with a friend in the city after my shift at work ended, or taking a walk in the park by my office. But I couldn't always do this because I have a puppy and he's home alone all day while my boyfriend and I are at work. So I like to get home as soon as I can whenever my boyfriend has to work later than me so I could feed him and let him outside. One day, a few weeks after our first encounter, the young guy approached me with an angry tone, asking why I hadn't been on the train the past few days. The two days prior, my boyfriend had been off work and home with our dog, so I delayed my train. I couldn't believe he was asking me this, as if we were friends and I had wronged him. I didn't even know him. He would just chat me up about random things and I would shut the conversation down as much as possible. I told him that what I had been up to didn't concern him and that really angered him. He told me that he had looked everywhere for me and that it was rude to keep him waiting. 
I said something in the vein of, look, man, I have a boyfriend. I don't know you. You don't know me. Why don't you just leave me alone? He sat in silence the rest of my ride. But what terrified me the most was that when my stop came, he followed me off the train. I didn't notice it at first, but about a block up from where the train station is, I turned around to see him following me. There were a few other people around, so I didn't acknowledge his presence, just hoping that I could lose him. I started sprinting home, desperate to get inside before he saw where I lived. But as soon as I closed the door and checked the window, I saw him standing out on my street, staring at my house. My boyfriend wasn't home at the time, so I grabbed my phone and called the police, telling them everything that had happened over the last few weeks. While I was on the phone with them, I saw this creep open my mailbox and peek inside, grabbing a letter, examining it, and putting it back. I told this to the operator, knowing that opening someone else's mailbox is illegal. But just after he put the letter back, he ran off. By the time police arrived minutes later, there wasn't a single trace of him. That was the night I told my boyfriend what was going on because it had escalated to the point of no return. The next day was a Saturday, and since I was off work, I went into a car dealer and leased a car. I had been saving up for a couple years anyway, but hadn't absolutely needed a car. But after this experience, I never wanted to take the train again. After driving to and from work for weeks, I didn't see the guy and almost forgot about his existence until a couple months ago when things really escalated. One weekend morning, I woke up and headed outside the door to run an errand when I heard the sound of glass breaking under my feet. Startled, I jumped back to see a broken framed photo on top of my doormat. When I picked it up, I dropped it right back on the floor. In this frame was a picture from my Facebook profile of my boyfriend and I. But my boyfriend's face was cut out of the picture. I knew right away that the guy from the train was responsible. But how did he get this photo? The only thing that made sense was that in the weeks since I'd seen him, he had been stalking me online. When he had pulled the letter from my mailbox, I bet that he had seen my name on something, I have a fairly unique name, and found me online. It was the only way to explain how he would have found me and this photo. I shouted for my boyfriend, who luckily was home, and showed him, which just made him call the police right away to report it. The problem was, it wasn't technically a threat. And we didn't have any proof that this had been done by the guy from the train, even though we knew it had to have been. But while my boyfriend was on the phone, I looked up at my car that was down on the sidewalk to see the word horror keyed into the side of it in massive letters covering the entire side. My boyfriend and I audibly gasped at the sight of it and told the police to come over right away. When they did, they examined my car and noticed something I couldn't believe I hadn't. 
They asked me if my dash cam worked, which it did. I had only recently gotten it for my new car because driving in the city can be crazy, and I had gotten into a minor fender bender, not my fault, in the first couple weeks of having my car. But the only way that something would come up on it is if you had happened to walk in front of my car, and we would need a clear face shot. But considering the train station was in the direction in front of my car, I decided it would be possible as long as he had taken the train or came from that direction. So I checked the footage. Only to find that at 2 a.m. that day, my dash cam had caught a clip of a person holding a rectangular object that looked just like the frame on my doorstep. And as they were walking by, they took a set of keys out of their pocket. The face was clear. It was the man from the train. But the camera didn't actually catch the act of putting the frame on my doorstep or keying my car. But police said that they felt it was enough to nail him. Unfortunately, since we don't know his name, they are still trying to find out who he is. I have since installed a doorbell camera and made all of my online accounts private. But if he dares come after me again, I have my phone and camera at the ready. This next one is about a creepy encounter at a diner in the woods. Check, please. After high school, I moved a couple hours away from my small town to the nearest city, where I've been ever since, about 10 years. Not only do I love the city I live in, but it's nice only being a couple hours by car from my parents, who I'm very close with. I visit them a lot more than they visit me, but I usually enjoy the short road trips. Recently, it was my mom's birthday, and my dad had called me asking me to come surprise her at a restaurant on the night of. I couldn't stay at their house the night before, as not to ruin the surprise, so that day, I drove over, planning to arrive at the restaurant at 7.20, just before their reservation so I could be at the table to surprise her. I was making good time that night because I had left with plenty of time so I wouldn't be late for the surprise, putting my arrival time at around 7. I remember that it was nearly 6 because the sun was setting and I still had around an hour to go. When I came upon a diner I grew up going to... It's your classic retro diner out in the woods with waitresses in little peach-colored dresses and delicious grubby food. Growing up, my parents took me here often whenever we were heading out to the lake because it's the closest restaurant to it and it was a spot that they had been going to for a long time. I don't think we ever left this diner without getting a slice of their banana cream pie because we all loved it so much. Since it was my mom's birthday and she didn't have much reason to drive an hour out to this diner anymore, I decided to jump off the highway and grab her a whole banana cream pie as a little trip down memory lane. When I got in the diner, all the familiar smells and smiles greeted me, boasting a mostly empty room. I headed straight to the counter and asked a middle-aged woman for a whole banana cream pie, which thankfully they had. 
Waiting as she wrapped up the pie, I sat at the counter and scrolled on my phone, catching up on what I had missed during my drive. There wasn't much, just a few texts, so after checking them and replying, I stood up to stretch and peered around the room, admiring this place I hadn't visited in years. While I did this, I noticed an old man sitting towards the far left side of the diner with a mug of coffee in front of him, checking me out. I stupidly waved at him, and he waved back, looking excited. I sat back down at the counter as the waitress handed me a white box with my mother's pie, and I gave her my debit card to pay for it and headed outside. When I got to my car, I leaned in to safely secure the pie box in my passenger seat, slide into the driver's seat, and I started backing up. But almost instantly slammed on my brakes when I saw someone's body up against the back of my car in my backup cam. I whipped my head around to see the man from inside the diner peering into my back window. I felt trapped. I couldn't get out of the spot unless he either moved or I ran him over. Considering how much he was creeping me out, I wanted to do the latter, but just sat there in bewilderment assessing the options. He stood there for a few more seconds, motionless, before moving over to my driver's side door. I considered booking it the moment he moved out of the way, but I couldn't get the image of me accidentally running over his toes in the process out of my head. So I put my driver's side window down one inch and asked him if I forgot something inside. Surely that was why he was outside my car. He's just a nice person trying to return something that belongs to me. Nope. How much, he said in his grisly old dude voice. If you can picture it, he was a rough-looking man, probably 60 years old, already sporting a white mustache and wearing an oversized camo jacket. How much for what? How much to spend a night with you? I was so shocked by this question that a laugh escaped my mouth when I replied with, What? Uh, no, I don't do that. I should have stepped on the gas right then and there because he was clearly very offended by that small laugh I did. He knocked his knuckles against the window, making my head jolt back. He kept pressing. I said, how much? This guy was not letting the idea go. And to show just how serious he was, he grabbed my door handle and opened the car door, wedging himself between me and the door. This is when I started screaming and shouting while he kept asking me how much for a night with him and telling me he wasn't going to hurt me, but just the opposite even though we were practically wrestling now. I was in an even worse position than before because even though he deserved for me to knock him to the floor with my car, if I started driving, my whole driver's side door would barrel over him. And I pictured the worst case scenario being his head popping like a watermelon under my tire. But then the woman who had gotten me my pie must have seen the commotion from inside because she came out with a pair of lungs on her, yelling at the guy she called Jerry to leave the poor girl alone. 
He raised his arms and said that he was just trying to compliment her, that her being me, before walking back to the diner with his hands in the air. I was so shaken after this, and the last thing I wanted was to ruin my mom's birthday dinner with this news of this ridiculous event happening on her special day. So when the waitress asked if I wanted her to call the police, I said no, which I regret today, but I did ask her if she knows him and if he's done this before. She said that she had seen him pouring something in his coffee from a flask and he was probably drunk, as if that was an excuse for his behavior. We did compromise on her calling the police while I went off to my mom's birthday dinner, just trying to shake off the night. When I called back the next day, the waitress told me that she had him arrested, telling the police that he had been drunk and disorderly. But to this day, I wish I'd put him in there for worse. On today's episode, you heard The So-Called Sleepwalker by Michael, The Man on the Train by Anonymous, and Drunk and Disorderly at the Diner by Paige. Each story on Nightwatch is told with the permission of the experiencer. If you have a story for the show, send it to watcher at nightwatchpod.com. Nightwatch is a Dark West Productions podcast hosted and produced by me, Daphne Wilsoncroft. Also produced by Heath Merriman. Original score by Daniel Amon. Follow us on social media at Nightwatch Stories and tune in every Thursday for a new episode.